Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Hellas Verona review episode. I'm joined by a couple of guests to help me out with this review They've both been on the podcast before. I'll start with Matt Laneve. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. It's my pleasure. We also welcome back Daniel Russo. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so much for having me back on. That's my pleasure. All right, so let's get started. The match finished 1-1 on goals from the Giovannis, Simeone for Hellas Verona, and Di Lorenzo for Napoli. We're going to talk about the goals in part two, but I want to start with the other Giovanni in this match, and that was Giovanni Airoldi, who was the match official, unfortunately. And I was telling the guys before we started recording, I generally don't like talking so much about the officials. I think the last time we spent the whole part talking about the officiating was in the Roma review match, and no surprise that that was the only other game this season that we didn't win, at least in Serie A. So... Unfortunately, it was a big subject. A lot of people were talking about the officiating after the match, so we do need to address that. Now, let me start with a simple question for both of you guys, and I just want a yes or no answer, and then we'll get into the details. But do you think the officiating, including the VAR or lack thereof, influenced the outcome of this match? Dan, I'll start with you. Yes, and only because of the penalty call that wasn't given. Yeah. I think we all know exactly which call you're talking about. We're going to talk about that. But first, Matt, do you think the officiating influenced the outcome of the match? Yeah, I got to agree with Dan on that one. I think that one penalty call was definitely a game changer for me. Okay, so we have consensus there. The reason I ask is because 
my initial reaction after the match was that there was perhaps a little bit of home bias going on. And I even tweeted after the match that I didn't think the officiating influenced the outcome of the match. But when I went back and watched it again, I think there were a few calls that might have made the difference. You guys alluded to one. Perhaps there were a couple of other ones. So we'll just go in chronological order. There's a couple main ones that I want to talk about, and then we can maybe discuss some of the other smaller or less influential decisions or missed calls. But let's start with the shouts for a handball at the end of the first half. This was Lorenzo Insigne playing across. It came off of what looked like the elbow, let's call it, of Pavel Davidovic. I'll go to you, Dan, first. Do you think that was a handball? On first glance, no, because he was doing, you know, that universal thing that all defenders do nowadays where they're putting their arms behind their backs. Di Lorenzo does it a lot just to completely avoid a possible handball with one of these crosses because you just never know where the cross is going to go. So defenders love to do that. But what I did notice on the replay was Davidovic extends his arm out from his body so that to me kind of seems like oh he's deliberately doing that because he knows that even if it does hit his arm because he's got his arms behind his back he's gonna get away with it regardless so even that one's a little bit dubious too upon second glance matt what do you think yeah dan is uh spot on there i think for me the first time i watched it 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 wasn't something that i initially picked up on and then uh, just watching the, the match a second time, I picked up on it too, where it looked like his arms kind of extended out. And uh, I felt like that probably should have been a penalty. But to be honest, I think there were about four controversial calls, including that one. And that one honestly might even been like the least controversial. So, I mean, I'm excited to get into some other calls too. Yeah, so for me, I would say it's not a handball. And I completely understand where you guys are coming from. I, I think a lot of people were making that argument. Maybe it's just the bias that I have being a former defender. I know, Dan, you're a defender too. So maybe that's not a thing. On one angle, it does look like maybe he moves his elbow out a couple of inches. I just feel like as a defender, you're so helpless these days that I'm willing to maybe give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. And I think... Even if it went to a VAR review, maybe they looked at it or not. I think it'd be very difficult to say that there was a clear and obvious error in not granting the penalty there. So I think I was fine with that. And and the question I would pose to everyone, not just for this call, but for, for all of the calls, which we'll go through, is if the roles were reversed, how would we have reacted as fans? So if this was Gianluca Caprari going down the left wing, He tries to cross the ball. Dan, you mentioned that Di Lorenzo does this a lot, defending with his arms behind his back. It hits off Di Lorenzo's elbow. How would we have reacted to that? Would we have felt as strongly if the penalty was called against us? I have a feeling a lot of us would have been pretty outraged on such a a, a minutia type of call. Let's move on to the next one, though, which was the Corey Gunther foul on Victor Osman at the start of the second half. I think this is the one that you guys both referred to earlier Matt I'll go to you was that a foul yeah I thought so um I mean Gunther he didn't even get and he didn't make any contact on the ball I mean he just seemed very clumsy and uh he really just took out Osiman in the box so I completely understand why Osiman and, and Napoli were frustrated there not to get the penalty yeah Dan do you agree 
Oh, absolutely. Matt used the perfect word to describe it, just completely clumsy. It was a very clumsy challenge. He did not look like he was in balance at all, Gunter, uh, when defending Ozyman, because he, I mean, Ozyman is just so strong and fast, so it's it's even hard to keep your balance regardless. But it was very similar to Kessie's penalty that he gave up against uh, Inter yesterday. Just a very clumsy challenge that at first glance doesn't really look like a penalty, but once you see a replay, it's like glaring right at your face. And I don't really understand why VAR didn't intervene. Yeah, this was exactly the thought that I had. And I don't actually blame my Roldi too much for this one because in real time, not too many people would have spotted that. I certainly didn't see it on TV. But then when you saw the replay and you slowed it down a little bit, you clearly see as he's falling, Gunther's knee hits the back of Osman's leg. And had it not, I, I you know, there are times where players there's contact and then a player throws himself to the ground just to embellish it and get the call. I don't even feel like that's what happened. I legitimately feel like that contact knocked Osman down and he otherwise would have still been on his feet. So the problem here was that not so much that it wasn't called in real time because that could be missed, but not to make this point over and over again, but that's where VAR needs to step up and at least call the official to come take a look at the monitor and make an informed decision for himself. I, I don't really understand how that can be missed. And I think that's really the source of a lot of people's frustrations. Then you mentioned that call in the Milan Derby and the inconsistency is what really gets everyone because I know, you know, a lot of Napoli fans after this match were feeling like, it's always us. We never get the calls. There always seems to be something. And to an extent, I agree. But I also feel like there's probably fans of a lot of clubs that are sitting there feeling the same way. And it's because of this inconsistency in in the officiating. And the last one I want to talk about was the play near the end of normal time where Gian Giacomo Magnani pulls Victor's shirt. He appears to be just inside of the area Victor goes to ground, but the foul wasn't given. And on top of that, Victor gets a yellow for descent. Matt, what did you think of this one? For that one, I I wasn't too sure if that was a clear penalty or not. I think even you might have had a tweet about this mentioning it. But, you know, you kind of see those shirt pulls all across the pitch. And to me, it wasn't anything too crazy toward a penalty. I was definitely more upset about the non-call on the Gunter one. For me personally. Dan, how did you feel about this one? It can never be a penalty, to be honest. Um, like Matt was saying, uh, sure pulling is happening all game long. It happens all game long. Even if you don't see it, it's happening. Especially in that type of situation, like that really isn't impeding Oziman in any way. His back is to goal. He's just at the corner of the box. Like, I can understand why Oziman probably embellished it just because he saw he was in the box and it felt a contact. But I don't think that's enough to give a penalty at all. The other two were, for me, way more... If Arioldi had given the penalties, it would have been okay. But that one, I don't think so. If he wasn't going to give the other two, definitely not that one. Yeah, okay. So we're all on the same page on this one because I was really torn. I mean, you can't deny that Magnani pulls his shirt on the replay. Like I said, it's pretty clear that he's in the area, but I completely agree with you guys that this stuff does happen all over the pitch. And if we were to think of every single time someone pulls a shirt that a foul is called, even though that sounds like, okay, it's breaking a rule, it should be a foul. 
we would have stoppages every five seconds because it's always, always happening. And to your point, Dan, I don't think there was anything in that that it didn't seem to affect Victor at all, really. He didn't lose balance or anything like that. He threw himself to the ground trying to win the call, and he didn't get it. When you look at these types of sure pulls, typically they're called when it does hinder a player's ability to move, right? Like a player spins around or you can see that he's not able to run at the same speed because he's being pulled from behind. That's when you see those sure pulls uh, getting called. But I do appreciate why Napoli Tivosi were so upset after the match. And these were just sort of the more discussed, the bigger, more major calls. But there were a number of what I would call less consequential non-calls. And what I mean by that is little things that maybe those individual calls might not have themselves influenced the outcome of the match, but collectively you felt like the official was against us. You know, there was the foul on Mario Rui in the first half that could have been a free kick in a dangerous area. There was, you know, a couple of instances where, and we've seen this not just in this match, but in previous matches as well, where someone just jumps on Victor's shoulders and, you know, or on his back and he's just standing there. And yet the fouls are called against him. Even when he tries to duck under the player doing that, he somehow gets a foul. So like, I don't know what Victor's supposed to do. Is he supposed to run away from the ball to ensure that he doesn't commit a foul on, on a ball that's in the air? So I think that's where, a lot of our fans were frustrated that it just felt like nothing was going our way with these decisions from the official. On the other hand, if you want to be really objective about this, I think we should acknowledge that there were also some calls that Hellas Verona fans probably weren't too happy about. And I didn't see too many Napoli fans talking about this. And, you know, this is just me trying to be objective. I'm obviously a Napoli fan and I want us to win, but if you look at our goal, it started with a free kick where Marirui is fouled. Initially, I thought, okay, maybe that wasn't even a foul. But on the replay, I think he did get his foot or toe stepped on. But I really played the advantage. Fabian plays a ball over the top to Politano. And it was only after the ball went out of play, which was a decent amount of time after the foul occurred, that the whistle was blown and it was brought back and we ended up scoring on that play. So I think Kellis Verona fans might have... Not been too thrilled about that. And then in the second half, when Mertens hits the outside of the upright on the free kick, that was another play where Mertens plays a quick pass. It hits Tamez, I think, on the hand. I didn't think his hand was so far off of his body, especially on a quick bang-bang play like that, for that to warrant getting a free kick. And we nearly scored the game winner. Before we end the discussion about the officials, were there any other calls that you guys maybe wanted to talk about that you weren't too thrilled about, Matt? Yeah, there was one um, in the first half, too, where it looked like Insigne played a ball over to the top to uh, Zielinski, and it looked like it went off his shoulder, and he had a quick turn, and it looked like he was going to be on goal, but they they called it for a handball. So I think that was another one that was pretty controversial, in my opinion. I was watching the replay on that one a couple of times, and personally, I didn't feel like it was that much of of an issue I think they did change the rule that that part of the arm is no longer considered a handball. So that's that probably should have been allowed. Whether he would have scored on that play, who knows. But yeah, I, I can appreciate that uh, fans were not too thrilled about that one. Dan, were there any other calls that you felt uh, could have gone our way? That one came to mind. But there was one other play in the second half 
where uh, Insigne already got Davidovic in the book. He already had him yellow carded. And then he took him on the next play because he already knew he was yellow carded. And this guy, he got past him, but this guy kept pulling his uh, his shirt, Insigne's shirt, and he, there, no call was given from the referee as a foul. And even Ozzy men went crazy, he went ballistic from what I remember. So that really would be the only other officiating decision that I didn't really understand where at least that he could have given a foul. It could have even been a second yellow, to be honest. But I think just the whole night, I think ever since that missed call Mario Rui, where he got barged down from behind, I, I just kind of knew where it was going. Yeah, it would have been Davidovic's second yellow, which, again, could have changed the match. So that's a good shout. And then the, the one other one that a lot of people were pointing out was the fact that Iroldi blew the final whistle with a minute still remaining in stoppage time. It was a bit odd because initially stoppage time was four minutes, and then there was the whole incident where Kalinic was sent off. And even before that, that play happened with Mario Rui and Kalinic were kind of jockeying for position on a throw-in that Verona won, and they were taking really long to go take the throw. So you had that. Plus, there was that Mertens free kick where they killed a bit of time. So you actually went back to check. Maybe they just put the wrong time on the clock, and it should have only been one more minute, so five minutes of stoppage time. But six actually seemed like the right amount, and he blew the final whistle with a full minute left to play. So who knows what could have happened. We were really taking it to Verona at the end of the match. At the end of the day, though, Spalletti always says that we can't make excuses, and he even said after the match, we might have been unlucky, but we could have still won the match. We'll talk more about that in part two. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Now that we've gotten the officiating out of the way, let's talk a bit about the match, which I thought was pretty entertaining. For the fifth time in all competitions, we conceded the first goal. I want to get both of your thoughts on that goal. Dan, I'll start with you. So on the goal, I honestly, this is probably the first time I saw Mario Rui kind of revert back to regular Mario Rui status. (laughs) I think we were spoiled, a bit spoiled, seeing Mario Rui playing so well. I I always thought he's a good player, but I think he's kind of overperforming this year a little bit. Nevertheless, I think he gets beat way too easily, just way too easily. And even if you do get beat there, you got to stop him somehow. Foul him, grab his shirt, whatever it is, take the yellow card. It's just too dangerous of a position to leave Barak in to serve a ball in the box. Then what I didn't understand was Romani actually had the step on Simeone on the goal. Yet, instead of anticipating the ball, he kind of lets it come to him, which allowed Simeone to get his toe to the ball from behind. So I kind of really didn't understand what Romani was waiting for there. He could have just booted it away, you know. I think it was just those two errors right there that against a team like Verona this year it could be very costly. It did cost us. Yeah, Matt, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think uh, Dan was spot on right there. It's beginning to feel like Verona is just that one mid-table team that we just always struggle to get a result on. It kind of reminds me of Sassuolo for Inter. Just going back to that goal, yeah, Brock just thought he had a really good first half. Um, I think we gave him too much space, personally. He burned Rui there, and then finding Simeone. Simeone had a nice little step, but just like Dan said, Romani was in front of him. I don't know how he didn't get a foot on the ball or clear it out, so a little bit disappointing to concede the goal, but 
to be fair, um, you know, there were a couple other chances that Verona had where we kind of came up big with either Ospina or making a, a solid block. So I guess it evens out in the end. He did a slight hesitation, and I think that got Mario Rui to dive in. And then Mario Rui was toast after that. If you went back and froze the frame, you would see that we had seven players back to defend five players that were attacking. So even though Mario Rui got burned, there was still more work to do. We still had enough cover. You saw Juan Jesus came over to help defend, which left Rachmani to mark Simeone and Di Lorenzo and Politano to mark Casale and Caprari. But I think you have to just give Simeone credit as well. I agree. Rachmani might've been waiting a little bit for that ball to come to him. And at that level, you're going to get burned if you do that. But Simeone is just playing with, maximum confidence right now he's now got i think it's nine goals in his last seven matches so he's he's feeling it and and when things are going your way they're going your way right so great play by Simeone to even get a foot on that ball and to beat Tospina there that goal was scored in the 13th minute as i mentioned it was the fifth time in all competitions that we've conceded the first goal but every time we've responded and only five minutes later Giovanni Di Lorenzo scored the equalizer Dan what did you make of that response as soon as we gave up the goal, it kind of looked like we already woke up. It was a good wake-up call. And honestly, I thought as soon as we scored the goal that we were going to go on and win quite comfortably, to be honest. But um, Verona kind of just showed that they're a very formidable opponent. And this year, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think they could easily make the Europa Conference League, maybe even a Europa League spot. Who knows? But um Credit to Di Lorenzo. I think he had an amazing game. Flawless, to be honest. I don't remember one mistake he made, honestly, during the game. And he definitely deserved this goal. So credit to him for taking it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think he is the most underrated right back in all of Serie A. For for some reason, he just doesn't get credit, especially when it comes to the national team. People are so eager to find other people to start at right back. It's like as if he's just kind of filling a void at the moment. But I think he fully deserves to be there. I mentioned in my preview that he's played the full 90 minutes in every single match, not just in Serie A, but in Europa League as well. He played the full 90 minutes in this one. So he's played almost 1,500 minutes already. (laughs) We're still in the first week of November. Matt, do you think, though, we might have been a little bit fortunate on that play in terms of how Hellas defended the free kick? Yeah, I'd say uh, it kind of worked out in our favor. It looked like it came from a free kick and Insigne he played it in but it it didn't seem to really go into the like an attacking area and kind of like shorter into the box looked like Juan Jesus got a header on it got it to Romani and then fell to Fabian Ruiz played it into Di Lorenzo and then right through the legs of Montipo so I'd say we kind of lucked out there just kind of fell our way we'll talk about Tamez a little bit later but He was very good in this match, but his header to clear that ball out wasn't that great. It wasn't that convincing. That kept the play alive. And then Montipo, who's been very good lately, I mean, that's a tough play for any keeper when your shots hit that hard from that close. But I think more often than not, he's probably going to keep that one out. So I think, yeah, maybe we're a little bit fortunate there. But as Dan said, we responded really well. And it's hard to say that we didn't deserve a goal because we had plenty of chances that we didn't take in that first half. So that leveled the score at one apiece. And at that point, it seemed like we might get the shootout that I was expecting. 
neither team scored after that, but both sides had their chances. We hit the upright a couple of times, but Ak had a couple of golden opportunities that he didn't take. Then when the final whistle blew, did you feel like this was a fair result? I did. Honestly, I did. I, I was not too upset with it because I just knew coming in, Verona's been taking points off the big teams the whole season so far. So honestly, credit to them. They have a great coach. They're a very well-oiled machine. Like I said before, I think they're going to be a very formidable opponent the whole season, to be honest, if they keep this up. And uh, credit to Giovanni Simeone. I never really thought he was this great, but man, the guy's on fire. So got to give kudos to where, where it's due. Yeah, it's too bad he's not Italian. I, I, with that name, you always think he is, but he's not. Matt, how about you? Did you feel like this was a fair result? So I thought both teams were very solid defensively. I will say I think Verona kind of deserved to at least walk away with the point, but I also feel like Napoli kind of deserved three points. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think just like with the referee calls and then on top of that hitting the post twice, kind of wish I got three points. But at the end of the day, Verona's one of the most informed teams. They have a tremendous attack that, you know, we held to one goal. So I'll take the one point at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with you guys. This was one of those matches where I think either side could have walked away with all three points had they just taken that that one additional chance. I think there's definitely no shame in drawing Hellas Verona. They've been phenomenal since Tudor took over. Dan, you mentioned their matches against top teams. They've now taken points from Roma, Lazio, Juve, and Napoli, which is just incredible. And this was a team that, I'll be honest, at the start of the season with Ivan Juric leaving, I thought they were going to be fighting for survival, and instead they're doing just as well with a very, very different approach. So kudos to them. The only top team to actually beat Verona this season so far was Milan. And even in that game, Hellas had a 2-0 lead, and they just blew it. And for whatever reason, they just seem to have our number. They've now taken points from us in all three matches in the calendar year. Fortunately, Inter and Milan tied, so we're still top of the table, and we maintained a seven-point advantage over Inter. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk a little bit about tactics, and we'll talk about some individual performances. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. So let's talk about how the managers approached this match. I mentioned earlier that I was expecting a shootout prior to this match. Only Inter and Milan had scored more goals than Hellas Verona. But that same attack-minded approach also left them exposed at the back. So I was expecting there to be lots of space for Victor Osman, And we all know what kind of damage he can do when you give him space. Matt, were you surprised to see Hellas defending so deep and with so many players? Yeah, honestly, a bit I was. Uh, I know with Juric, they were a very strong defensive team. And then this season under Tudor, they've uh, showed that attacking brilliance from uh, their trio, Barak, Simeone, and Caprari. But today it looked like they were a hybrid of both. They were very solid defensively, and uh, they were creating chances in attack. You know, I thought Gunter played a great game against Osimhen. Davidovic was causing problems for Insigne, and then... On the other side, Cecchini for Politano kind of shut him out too. So it was a very good uh, defensive match from uh, Verona, in my opinion. You know, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because while they are a very aggressive, attack-minded team, 
what we've seen so far this season is that the low block is the most effective way to stop Victor Osman. It doesn't always work, but we know that when you give him space, it's not going to work out so well. So your best bet is to take that space away. But we also saw something new from Tudor, or at least something which other clubs have not tried, and that's that Verona committed a lot of professional fouls, particularly inside of our half. You wouldn't have noticed it by looking at the statue because I think the fouls committed were something like 19 for Verona and 16 for Napoli, but Victor committed eight of those fouls, and most of them probably weren't even fouls. Dan, what did you make of that tactic with Verona fouling us really high up the pitch and, and stumping our attack? I think it was extremely smart. It's probably one of the only ways to stop this Napoli, especially not letting us get the ball to Ozyman. To give his team more time to get back, that's really the only way. Because it's a mismatch everywhere in speed. I mean, I, I can't really... Maybe Skriniar and Tomori will be the only center backs in this league that can match him for speed. Other than them, it's always going to be a mismatch. And the only real only way to stop us getting the ball to him is to foul or... or obviously get the ball as quickly as possible after losing it. And Tudor went with this approach and it worked to to perfection, in my opinion. I think so. I mean, credit to Tudor. I thought that really disrupted our rhythm, especially in the second half. It was a risky approach. We saw both Daniel Bessa and Nikola Kalinic pick up their second yellows in the final five minutes of normal time. And that easily could have happened earlier in the match. We talked about Davidovitz potentially getting a second yellow and, Maybe that changes the outcome if one of those reds come earlier. I've been loving Opta Paolo lately, and they've been posting some great stats, and they had a great one for this one. Apparently, that Bessa sending off was the first time since a win became worth three points that a substitute was actually sent off in the same match. So that's a little fun fact for you there. I'm pretty sure Kalinic got sent off, and he was a substitute as well. So that's two right there from off the bench that got sent off. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even realize that. So yeah, it hasn't happened since wins became three points and then we get two in the same match. But I mean, the risk obviously paid off in the end. I think Hellas Verona are very happy to walk away with a point from this match. We had plenty of chances in the match, but I thought most of them were in the first half. Other than that Mertens free kick that hit the outside of the upright, I can't remember too many other clear chances in the second half. I mean, there was one where... Osman made a great play to control the long ball on his chest and he gave it to Lozano and he fired with his left, kind of sailed over the bar. So we could call that a half chance. Spalletti commented on this after the match. He basically said that we'll have to learn from this match. You know, that's something we haven't seen before. So maybe we, you know, we need to adjust when teams are fouling us like that and just trying to disrupt our rhythm. That's a good segue to Napoli's tactics. I felt like Spalletti didn't really counter what Tudor was doing, or perhaps he just took too long to make any adjustments. In the 62nd minute, he replaced Politano with Lozano and Zielinski with Elmas. I thought both of those changes made sense, but neither were particularly effective. I don't think either Politano or Zielinski had strong matches, so I was fine with them coming off. Then Spalletti waited until the 86th minute to replace Anguisa with Mertens and Insigne with Unas. Matt, do you think Spalletti waited too long to make those changes? I do. Uh, Unas 
in particular is a player that I wanted to see come on a lot earlier in the match. Him and uh, Patanya as well. Especially with the low block, I think Patanya and Osiman can play well together. And Patanya, he might not be the most clinical in front of goal, but uh, when you see him and Osiman on the pitch, he just takes up space and uh, creates more for Osiman to get a shot on target. And then uh, Unas, I mean, he's just been incredible off the bench anytime we've seen him this season. I mean, that goal he scored in the Europa League at the end of the game was just brilliant too. So um, I'm really itching for him to get more minutes. And, you know, I think he's a very creative player and uh, technical. And with his speed, maybe he could have drawn another card on Davidovic. So I really wanted to see those two guys come on a lot earlier. Dan, what do you think? I think the subs made sense, like you said, especially the first two. I mean, obviously, Lozano and uh, Elmas, yeah. Elmas has been playing well enough to to deserve coming off the bench earlier. But I just think that maybe after this match, it's time to kind of put Unas in front of Lozano in the pecking order. I think Lozano's not producing enough as much as we know he could be. And maybe a bit of time on the bench could do him well. I don't know. But um, like Matt said, I, I definitely agree with Unas coming in a bit earlier. I know he's just coming back from injury, but I think in this particular match, he could have really helped us a lot because of how creative he is and how shifty he can be. And especially against those players that he could probably have drawn a lot of fouls too. So I think it would have been a win-win in that situation. But other than that, I think our tactics were okay. I think we could have easily won this game too. Yeah, we had plenty of chances. That's an interesting point about Unas moving up to be sort of the, I guess what you would call the backup to Politano in this case, if uh, Politano's starting. There are some Napoli fans who, Mo Salad, for example, who I speak to regularly that would even want Unas to be in the starting 11. And, you know, it's hard to blame people for wanting that because so far, whenever he's played, he's done something special. And for me, I think this is mostly just because I'm a very conservative person by nature. I generally don't like change. I think we started as good of a starting 11 as we could have. And, you know, so I don't blame Spalletti for that. I I generally don't want to start experimenting in this type of match. If it's, you know, against a weaker opponent or in a different competition, I'm totally fine with starting Unes. But I mean, you're not even talking about starting Unes. You're talking about playing him ahead of Lozano. One thing I was thinking about in this match was that I wonder if Spalletti waited so long because we didn't have Koulibaly. And, you know, we've seen time and time again in the past with this Napoli club where we concede a late winner and we should have won the match. And I know that's probably not the type of mentality you would attribute to Spalletti because he's all about winning mentality. And and that's a, you know, avoid lose kind of mentality. But I wonder if that played into this just a little bit and where he was kind of weighing between when's the right moment to go a bit more aggressive and more attack minded without taking the chance that we concede a goal uh, the other way. And I think even if I'm curious to know if you guys noticed this, because I thought in the first half, especially Politano seemed to be playing a lot deeper than he normally does in non-possession where I wonder if that too was just to provide a bit of extra defensive cover. We know Politano is a good defender for a winger. And, you know, again, with Koulibaly not there, if maybe this was part of the game plan or am I just seeing things here? I think you're spot on with what you're saying, because 
I didn't tweet it, but I remember seeing tweets saying, wow, Politano put in a great shift defensively today, which he actually did. I remember you saying he had kind of an underwhelming performance, but I think that was kind of the plan to begin with, to have him play a little bit more defensively. So honestly, I think those were the tactics. I think you might be onto something with in regards of Spalletti's uh, mindset on the game and his game plan. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, like we mentioned before, Verona have one of the most lethal attacks in the league right now. So it kind of makes sense for Politano to play more defensive. And uh, I mean, going off that, I know this is kind of more of a preview, but I'm wondering if we'll see kind of the same thing in the match against Inter. If Politano gets a start, if might see him in a more defensive setup, given uh, their strength and attack too. Yeah, I'll be curious to see who starts on that right wing. I mean, interplay with wing back so that poses a bit of a different challenge i mean both of our right wingers offer something different right like politano we all know is better defensively but lozano's quicker so i mean that could be useful as well what's interesting is that in the end maybe we didn't need that extra cover because i think to everybody's surprise juan jesus had a really really good performance then how impressed were you with juan jesus in this match Oh, I was so impressed. I remember talking to my dad, actually, in the first half. There was a sequence of, like, four plays within a minute or two where Juan Jesus was just taking down Simeone, take, completely taking him out of the game. And I mean that in not not fouling him, but uh, just completely eliminating him from the play to begin with. And it was so impressive to me. It kind of looked like Koulibaly. It kind of looked exactly how Koulibaly defends. So I was like, I don't know. Maybe Koulibaly went in with a Juan Jesus mask. I don't know. But uh, he, he was so good all night. I was really proud of him. I was really impressed. I thought he was fantastic. It was actually really funny to hear Jose Mourinho say after the loss to Venezia that he could have used a player like Juan Jesus. And then he comes out and just completely dominates Simeone. Obviously, Simeone scored, but that wasn't Juan Jesus's fault. But other than that, I agree. He he marked them really tight. I think that sequence you're talking about was near the end of the first half where it was kind of like on the touchline at midfield and he won a couple of tackles. There was a bit of a another poor officiating decision. They called a foul against Jesus right before the, the whistle at halftime. Matt, what did you think of his performance? I was so surprised. Like, it blew me away. I believe the commentators said that it was his first start in a Serie A match in like over two seasons. So, I mean, just given that, I mean, it was incredible. And then uh, on top of that, I think you got to give Spalletti a little bit of credit because, you know, he's been finding minutes throughout the season to fit him in and keep him fresh. Whereas, you know, we think about, you know, Romani's first start last season and, you know, he didn't, I don't think he made his first appearance until, you know, after the second half of the season and it was just a terrible performance and and uh, we conceded a goal from an error from him. So I give Spalletti credit for just working Juan Jesus into the team and, you know, he played an outstanding match. He won just about everything in the air, had a lot of interceptions and really closed out Barack too, who I thought was the most creative player, maybe like first 15, 30 minutes of the match, but after that, Juan Jesus, I mean, he completely controlled him. Yeah, that's a great point about Spalletti. I think after the match, Juan Jesus even said that, you know, he's, he's, he, 
I guess he kind of acknowledged that he knows what his role is on this team, which is the fourth center back. But he said he's ready to play whenever the Meester calls on him. And he showed it, right? Like to your point, he's obviously taking care of himself. He's training hard because he looked fit. He did not look like he had heavy legs. He did not look like he gained any weight. So big shout out to Juan Jesus for taking care of his body when he's not really playing. I think even the the matches that he has, but well, he played against Legia Warsaw both times and he looked pretty good in, in those matches as well. And he was playing at left back. So credit to him and and I guess credit to Juntoli for <laughs> for thinking of whether it was Juntoli or whoever that thought of uh, bringing Juan Jesus in for a relatively uh, cheap price. We're almost at a time here, but I'll come to both of you for any final thoughts you want to get in before we wrap up the episode. Dan, I'll go to you first. Honestly, I just, I really hope we bounce back with a win against Inter. I think it would be an insane result away from home. I think, like you said, we shouldn't be experimenting with the lineup at all. So I'd hope to see the same lineup go up against uh, Inter. And Honestly, I think we could do it. I genuinely think we could do it if we could get the ball to Ozyman as much as possible. And Insignia has a better game than he did the past few weeks. I think we could definitely uh, get that coveted three points at the San Siro. I think that would be huge because I, I have to admit that there's a little bit of doubt in the back of my mind. Like, I know there's no shame in dropping points here at the Hellas Verona. They're, they're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. But I keep looking at the schedule and I keep seeing that you know, we haven't really played that many top teams. We tied Roma, now we tied Verona. Yeah, we beat Juve without a lot of players. Then you look at Milan, for example, they've played all kinds of top teams and they have the same record as us. So that that does worry me as well. And then you add the fact that they're probably going to get knocked out of the Champions League and only have to play one match a week. Mind you, I feel like we do have the depth to compete in both competitions. So I think if we can beat Inter, that would give me a lot more confidence in this team and I think a much better understanding of what level this team is at. Matt, any final thoughts from you? I think you guys pretty much hit on everything. I'll say that, you know, I was just really happy to see Di Lorenzo get his first goal of the season. Felt like it's been a long time coming and well-deserved. The only thing that I'm a little bit concerned about, and I might get some backlash for this from other Napoli fans, but I'm a little bit concerned about our ability to score some goals from open play other than Victor Osiman. It seems like our attack around him is just kind of struggling in that department. But, you know, I'm hoping for a big match against Inter. It's going to be a very tough month. And even with December ahead, too, I think uh, we've got to finish out 2021 strong. Yeah, and I don't think too many Napoli fans would actually disagree with that. I think it was Jay from SSC Napoli News that tweeted that, of our 24 goals this season, I believe 14 or something in that neighborhood have come from set pieces. So that just tells you, you know, we're, we're actually scoring more goals from set pieces, which is mind boggling because we all know that historically we have not been good from set pieces, but more goals have come this season from set pieces than from open play. So I think that is something to keep an eye on. Hopefully Spalletti can figure a way to, to get Osman, uh, more involved not that he I mean we all know he's been probably our best player so far this season but I do also want to see more goals from open play and I'm hoping that you know we've seen Zielinski's play improve a little bit maybe not so much in this match but in the couple of matches prior to that so hopefully we can start getting some more goals from him from guys like Fabian Lozano Politano whoever's starting on the right wing that's all we have time for I want to thank both of you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Uh, Matt thank you 
Thank you for having me, Joe. It was an absolute blast. And Dan had a great time talking happily with you as well. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Joe. And great to talk to you also, Matt. You can find both of our guests on Twitter. Matt is at Matt. Daniel is at Danny underscore Russo 22. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back probably in a couple of days to review our latest Primavera and Femenile matches. And then we head into the international break. So hopefully I'll get an episode or two out to help keep people occupied during the international break. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.